This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. All right, let's talk some Brooklyn Nets basketball. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia, we're still basking in the glow of just absolutely annihilating the New York Knicks at Barclays Center, 112.85. It really doesn't get old. You know, we, we've now beaten the Knicks 175 times in a row. Mm-hmm. Usually the games are close. This was a rare blowout. And it's been 48 hours as we record this. And I got to tell you, it doesn't get old, bro. No, it's awesome. And I, I know a lot of Nick fans will go, this is the best highlight of your last three years with Kevin Durant. You know, my answer will be yes. <laughs> yeah, you got us. <laughs> You're right. Agreed. And I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. You're right. Listen, Nick fans should take it as a compliment. I mean it. I mean, the Knicks are the big brother in terms of popularity. So, yeah, we we always get hyped for Knicks Nets. I, I do think over the last few years, it's been one of those games. I guess this is the way Yankee fans probably feel about the subway series where really we're risking everything, you know, God forbid we lose. We're not going to hear the end of it. If we win, we feel good. We bask in the glow, but ah, the Knicks are just a mediocre team, which is the reality. I mean, they are, they're not a championship caliber team. So I do feel like going into these games, we have a lot more to lose than they do, but it still feels good. And yeah, it's a we- that's a weird comparison because, I mean, the Yankees have, let me check the internet, this history, and we don't. So it's a you little know different. No, I don't mean that. Okay. I don't mean that. But you don't agree with the fact that we go into these games with more yes. to lose? Oh, no. I I feel these games, for me personally, and I'm I'm happy, but it's more of a sense of relief that it's over and we beat the crap out of them. But it's it's more of that than, yeah, we got the win. It's more relief than any other team I I watch the Nets play is always more relief uh, than anybody else. So no doubt, I totally agree with that. One thing that has definitely changed, even if people don't want to admit it, is that I've been to a lot of Nick Nick games from the Jersey days, the Newark days, the Brooklyn days, and it seems like every time they play in Brooklyn, the disparity becomes easier to deal with in terms of fans uh at the end of the new jersey days in newark it was as bad as i've ever seen like it was 99 percent nick fans at a new jersey nets game it got really 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 embarrassing and when they moved to brooklyn and it first opened up it was very 50 50 would be the way i would define it probably a slight edge for nick fans and every year that would go by didn't even really matter who was on the nets necessarily it would get better for us, a little bit better for us. Still a lot of Nick fans. I'm not saying there aren't Nick fans at Barclays Center. I'm not claiming that. But it would get better and better and better. And I felt this way the other night, even before the game started, where obviously the Nick fans didn't have a lot of times to make noise because they got blown out. But I said it to my dad. I said, this is the fewest amount of Nick fans I've ever seen at Barclays Center. 
And there were still a good amount of Knicks fans. I would say 35% of the building, something like that, which, again, still a big number in the, sure. in the grand scheme of things. Well, but I think it's the best breakdown I've ever seen in terms of us outnumbering them in our own arena, and that feels good. Let, let me ask you this question because I think you're the perfect person for this. Met Yankees have a series. There's going to be Yankee fans at City Field. There's going to be Met fans at Yankee Stadium. It's not... It's almost just commonplace. Yeah, of course yeah. there's Met fans at Yankee games. Of course there's Yankee fan at Met games. Two great fan bases. Obviously, proximity doesn't really matter. There's fans all over the place. More Yankee fans in the Bronx. More Met fans at um, in Queens. But obviously, this is not a huge commute. People can make it make it there. When it's the Nets and Knicks, it's a bigger deal. Like, oh my God, who took over the arena? There were Nets fans. There were Knicks fans. Why do you think that is? And then why is it such a big deal in either direction? When you look at the baseball team, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they're Met and Yankee fans. Who, what? It, why would it even be a conversation? Because Nick fans don't want to acknowledge we exist. And even though Net fans do exist, that's the common theme. The common theme, and it's been going on for a while, is there are no Net fans. Net fans don't exist. And so... I think that's why that continues to be a battle. And I'm not sure that's really ever going to change because I think once it's in your head that net fans mm-hmm. don't exist, it's just that you accept it. So that's why there was an assumption. I'm sure anyone listening probably heard it was that, oh, the Nick fans took over Barclays Center the other night. No, they didn't. It's just an assumption because they used to. No, no question. I, I never shy away from that. I mean, especially sure. in New Jersey, it was. It was bad. There was some really, really bad nights. So I think a part of why people make a bigger deal out of the Nick Net thing is that a lot of Nick fans, not all, just don't want to acknowledge that Net fans actually exist. Yeah. And I think that's the the inherent issue. But whatever, man. <laughs> Kick their ass. And it's it's weird right now because I don't know about the future of Kyrie Irving. I don't even really want to spend that much time speculating on it. It's one of those things where, okay, if he comes back, let me know, and we'll break it down then. But Kyrie Irving has not played since they began their three-game West Coast oh, West Coast trip, three-game road trip a week ago. When they went to Washington, they went to Charlotte, and they went to Dallas. So it's been a little over a week where Kyrie Irving got expelled, if you will. Mm-hmm. A little bit before that, they fire the head coach, which we had talked about. It was the right move to make. Ever since the Chicago game, They've only played four games. I acknowledge that. They're a different team. Defensively, they're a different team. Ball movement, they're a different team. Kind of feel for the team, like energy of the team, different team. They're three and one. The Dallas game was a rough loss, which I guess we can get into at some point. But I guess it goes back to this. Why is everything different? Is it the coach? Is it Kyrie? Is it, hey... It was just early in the season. You need to be patient. It was only eight games. Like, what is the reason why everything about this team feels different uh, since they went to Washington a week ago? Evan, it's it's everything you said. It was early in the season. Steve Nash and Kyrie Irving. Steve Nash is the head coach of the Nets. Kevin Durant clearly didn't want Steve Nash to be the head coach. We That was made abundantly clear all summer long. But he was brought back, and Kevin Durant had no choice. He came back, bit his lip. You and I, I think, talked about it on this podcast where we were saying something like, you know, Kevin Durant looks good, but he doesn't look like Kevin Durant. Right. Since Steve Nash left, Kevin Durant doesn't just look like Kevin Durant. He looks like he's going to be in the MVP race. He's been that good. 
I think there's a huge factor of Steve Nash gone. He's relaxed. He's more comfortable. He's being himself. And I also think Kyrie Irving not being there makes a huge deal. Now the net players can say, oh yeah, when we, you know, I heard Nick Claxton say this. I heard Royce O'Neal say this. Yeah. When, when, you know, Kyrie comes back, we're clicking right now. We're going to be even better, but there has to be some truth to Kyrie Irving leaving. And just this feeling of uh, happens within the organization with the combination of Nash, with the combination of Irving, they've played relaxed. They've played comfortable. They've played through Durant and everything offensively has flowed well. And then defensively, they have been at another execution level. So I think to answer your question, it's a combination of all of it playing together and not only just all of it happening, but all of it happening at the perfect time that Nash left, Irving left basically at the same time. And for whatever reason, that gel, that togetherness has made a difference on the court. And anybody that says it's all Nash, it's all Irving, I'll say no. It's the combination of the two has been the perfect storm for why the team's winning basketball games. Yeah, and look, hopefully it's got to continue. They've created a little bit of a hole for themselves at five and seven. It's not an insurmountable hole, but obviously they got off to a bad start. And they're also dealing with a part of the season, which we knew going in is tough just based on the fact they have to play a ton of road games. I mean, they're about to embark on a four-game West Coast trip. While they may not be facing a murderer's row of teams, it's still a four-game West Coast trip. And then they come back and only play one game at home against a really good team in Memphis and then go back on the road for three more. So it's a stretch of games in which they're playing seven of eight on the road. They had just played three of four on the road. So when you add it all together, it's 10 of 12 games on the road, which isn't easy. But to me, it comes back down. It's one of the things you touched on. But to me, it's the most jarring. It jumps out at me the most is Kevin Durant. He is the entire offense, but not to the point where he's taking 30 shots a game. Just the offense is running through Kevin Durant. He's doing a great job of finding open looks for his teammates. He is playing and appears like a leader, the same leader that many criticize, myself included, that he really isn't. It's almost like another alpha male not being there has Mm -hmm. given Kevin that, yeah, I'm the leader. It kind of reminds me of a year ago during the COVID outbreak when it was Kevin Durant and the kids, and he was playing with such joy, but he was also playing like a leader. And there just seems to be so many differences that I'm not sure relates necessarily to the head coach, more just the way the team is built right now. It's built on, here's a superstar, Kevin Durant, and here's a lot of really good role players that fit around them, specifically shooters. And so, I don't know, he comes across like a guy that enjoys this more because his entire career, he's played with another superstar, whether it was a young Russell Westbrook and a young James Harden, whether it was in Golden State with Steph and Clay Thompson, whether it was coming to Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving and eventually James Harden, the majority of his career has been with another alpha, another Hall of Famer, because all those guys I mentioned are Hall of Famers. And right now, he's not sharing the floor with any Hall of Famers. And I don't know. I don't know if he'll ever admit this, but doesn't he look happier on the floor this way? Oh, he he looks like a different guy. I I go back to this one play. It was the Nets up by 22 or so. End of the first half. Ben Durant lobbed to Ben Simmons. Misses the alley-oop kind of layup. 
Knicks go the other way. Simmons strips the ball. It hands it lands in KD's hands. He outlet passes to Joe Harris. Dribbles about three or four steps and knocks a nice looking three point shot. Nets go up twenty five. About thirty seconds left in the first half, and KD lets out this roar. He's smiling. It was like he was so into it. That play, I I, I always find an interest dynamic in looking at Durant and Joe Harris because Joe to me resembles the old nets and Durant's like the new age nets. And that was the most excited I've ever seen those two together. And <laughs> something there, I was looking at going, KD's really into this. He loves this. This is different. And I think back to last season when the nets were the one seed and they were playing great basketball and Kyrie wasn't playing because of the, the uh, vaccine mandate. He wasn't in road games yet. James Harden was playing, but not playing well. But the Nets were the one seed, and then KD got hurt, and they just tanked. We know what happened after that. They spiraled, and they basically had to fight to get the six seeds or whatever it was. And this looks to me like that KD where it doesn't matter who you put on the court. They're going to win games in this function of the Nets. They have really good role players, and they're playing well within with KD. And I don't think this team could win a title. But this team can win basketball games, be pesky, be annoying. Uh, it's a, it's it's not a title looking team, but but it's a basketball team with KD well, and a bunch of role players. I, I know it's it's kind of like what's the point of trying to get in, in Durant's head? But why is he happier then? And why the hell did right. he so wanting to play with Kyrie Irving? You know what it's I mean? A, like I, I I guess I if. If he's the kind of guy, and I totally would respect this, who says, look, I played with a bunch of Hall of Famers in my career. I want to be the hub in this offense. This is what I think would be fun because we know the guy loves the ball. Why would he ever want to be teammates with Kyrie Irving? I know there's conspiracy theories out there like, ah, he doesn't want to. He's done with Kyrie. And maybe he is because it's easy to buy into it watching him. Because you look at him and the way he's playing basketball now as compared to the first eight games of the season. And besides the performance, which definitely feels different, he looks like he's enjoying it more. But but you hit on something, and this is the overarching thing about this whole discussion, the Nets without Kyrie Irving, the Nets with Kyrie Irving. You said they're not a championship team. And I kind of lean and agree with you that as much fun as this incarnation of the Nets may be right now, are they beating the Milwaukee Bucks? Probably not. Are they beating the Boston Celtics? Probably not. All that. Their highest, I guess, potential is with Kyrie being out there. True. But Kyrie's got to buy in because we have a large sample size now of Irving and Durant not fitting. Like, we have a lot of examples of it now. They've played a lot of games together in Brooklyn, some with James Harden, but mostly without. And the record is not overwhelmingly good. I think the record when they both play is 28 and 23 or 38 and 33, something of that nature. That's not that good. And then you look at Durant's record when Kyrie's not out there in Brooklyn, and it's awesome. It's much better. I mean, sometimes eventually you have to pay attention to numbers. At some point, you have to look at a win-loss record and say, hey, there's something to it. You know, we're not losing patience on this. Irving and Durant have been teammates for a bunch of years now. Granted, they haven't played as many games as we had hoped together, but dude, they played a lot of games together. And more times than not, it feels like when they're on the floor at the same time, they're not playing the same game. It's like, okay, 
This possession is Kyrie's possession. Let him dribble a million times and show off his insane ball handling skills. Okay, this is Kevin Durant's possession. And they don't play together the way the team is playing right now. And I can't figure out why the hell not, because you're talking about two all-world talents that on paper should work together. But, dude, we got a big sample size that it doesn't work together. Oh, I, I'm all about it doesn't work. I, yeah, the proof is there. It, it This version of the Nets in this four games is so much different. And as amazing as Kyrie, and I, I swear to God, I sound like a I sound like I'm a I sound like a Boston Celtic fan. <laughs> it's I mean, if it's like history repeating itself, there's nobody that's better at doing those things than Kyrie Irving. But for whatever reason, when him and KD are on the court together, it seems to have problems in the sense of winning basketball games. And ultimately, that's the biggest difference. And that what that's what matters the most. But yeah, when you talk about ceiling and you say, okay, here's the Nets. Everything's looked like Seth Curry had a nice game. Joe Harris is getting a little bit of a rhythm. You know, Edmund Sunberg, Edmund Sunner has been really nice. Royce O'Neal's picked it up. Nick Claxton, this Ben Simmons, who the hell knows off the bench. Like, okay. But you, we all know if they're going to do something serious, Kyrie has to be there, but it's just, it's almost like I've gotten to the point where in the past I've said to myself, all right, I'll do anything. Cause I know the ceiling is there with Kyrie Irving. But now I've I've seen so much. I'm going. I rather just I rather be in the playoff mix and whatever happens happens, and just have like a normal regular season where you win six out of ten, you win five out of ten, you win seven out of three, you win four out of six. You end up with forty eight wins. It is what it is. Okay, that was fun. Let's get into the playoffs. Then everything that happens with Irving because. It's also more than basketball. Whatever you feel about Kyrie Irving, you could agree or disagree with his stance on things. You can't you can't argue that when Kyrie Irving is on a basketball team, there is a cloud of other crap that always is there. And it gets to the point where you're like, well, if they're just average together and if they're slightly better than average when he's gone, all right, we're not going to win a title, but at least I'm not miserable watching my sports team. It's more like normal depression when you yeah. lose. And not like, oh, my God, this well, is the Nets where they're on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox on a Tuesday night. Well, it's funny. When when the Nets initially signed Kyrie and Kevin Durant, the joke was we made a deal with the devil, which <laughs> yeah. feels pretty accurate. Yeah. I think your point is well taken that forget about all the other stuff surrounding Kyrie Irving. If they're not winning, then no deal with the devil is worth it. And sure. so that's why I look at the Irving potential return. And by the way, at the beginning of this, I said, we're not going to talk about Kyrie. And of course, of it course. turns into Kyrie because I guess that is a cloud around this basketball team when you talk about not only the way they play, but the way they're going to play moving forward because he is lingering as a possible return man or a guy that could eventually be traded. But if they're not going to win and they haven't when he's been on the floor, then obviously it's not worth it. Then it's definitely not worth it. And it does seem like the Nets have moved past, at least publicly saying that they care about everything Kevin Durant thinks. You know, Sean Marks, when he hired Steve Nash a couple of years ago, was honest. Yeah, we wanted input from Kevin Durant. He was honest about it. And I, I remember agreeing with it, saying, of course, you should have input from your best player. When they announced that Jacques Vaughn is going to become not the interim head coach, but the head coach, he said, no, I didn't ask Kevin Durant. Hmm. So publicly, they've had a very different tone about 
you know, the input that Durant has. And maybe that's the way they have to treat the Kyrie situation now. You know, whether they trade right, him right. or they wave him or they bring him back, like you have to just make a basketball decision. And from a basketball standpoint, I look at this roster and I say, I say they don't have a point guard. They don't. They Kyrie Irving is not a point guard. He's a tremendous scorer, but he's not that kind of player. Ben Simmons, I I I can't call him a point. He's a backup five. <laughs> I know. And, and look, is sure. that going to change at some point? Because we need to be patient with him. Maybe it does. Okay, maybe it does. I'm I'm open to admitting that. But as of right now, you have to think of him as exactly the way he's being used, which is he's a backup freaking five. Edmund Sumner has been a revelation coming off a major injury. He's not even a real point guard. And then you look at Patty Mills and Cam Thomas and Seth Curry. So I'm not even joking. If you could turn Kyrie Irving into freaking Mike Conley, done. If you could turn Kyrie Irving, I hate to say this because he's old and he's large, into Kyle Lowry, fine. Like, it's not about who's the better player. We know Kyrie's the better player, but if you can just get another, or really another, a real point guard on this roster, it just fits. It Mm -hmm. it just would, I I can't believe I'm saying this. I think it makes the team better than just trying to insert Kyrie Irving, hoping in the best case scenario, because I don't think the best case scenario is ever going to happen with him on this team. Yeah, and Kyrie Irving is not a true point guard. He is a he he's a two guard, but because he's six foot one, six foot two, you know, and he has great handles, then there's a stereotype of well, he's a point guard because because he can he can certainly dribble the basketball up the court and pass it around, but but he's not a true one from that standpoint. He just he just really isn't. And as for as much as net fans want to be like, oh, James Harden sucks, James Harden this, Harden did a lot of the things that Ben Simmons can't do right now and hasn't been able to do and help the Nets get into sets, help the Nets get into offensive flow. Harden did that for the Nets. And when he was at his best, was able to put the Nets in good positions to succeed. The Nets don't have a point guard. I completely agree with you, Evan. If you are somehow able to, you know, deal Kyrie Irving and you get Mike Connolly Jr. back and, you know, there's other pieces and components involved for salary cap and whatever. I take that trade straight on, no doubt. Get somebody that's going to get other people involved, can shoot the three. Like to me, it's a it's a no brainer, and I, that's why I'm I'm scared. But like, what does it look like when he comes back and he's inserted into something that's flowing well? How do? And I know the first game back for Kyrie Irving. Like to me, this is what's going to happen: eight points, twelve assists. You know, get people involved and then everybody be like, look, Kyrie can do this because he'll know what the, the idea is. But truly, does that work? I, I I say no. And I say based on what I've seen with my eyes over the last two, three years, it, it will be a failure. And that's not coming from, oh, you're a pessimistic, Mike. You're a net hater. No, it's just I've seen enough. I've seen the sample size. Th- this is this is reality. It doesn't yeah. this doesn't fit eventually you just have to admit what you see (laughs) eventually. And look, I thought the same thing. I I apologized on the air this week to Boston Celtic fans and Boomer Esiason, who would always say Kyrie's a problem. Kyrie's not worth it. Kyrie this. And, 
you know, you, you push it aside because he's got to do it to you before you believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of right. like, well, they warned me about her. Well, you're not going to know until you experience <laughs> it. Exactly. And, and we've experienced it. That, that's we've really what it comes it. down to. We've experienced totally. a lot of it. And it sucks. <laughs> but But here's one thing that concerns me. And I brought this up to you the other day. Kevin Durant gets hurt. That's basically been the track record over the last couple of years. Granted, he was coming off, you know, a major, major injury and came back as well as anyone could have expected off the Achilles injury. But he's been hurt, whether it was the hamstring injury two years ago that kept him out for a significant amount of time, whether it was, I guess it was the knee injury when Bruce Brown fell into him against the Pelicans last year, really an injury that just derailed everything. Because if he doesn't get hurt, James Harden may not demand the trade. I, who the hell knows? I mean, just God. That injury in itself was one of the most significant injuries in the history of the franchise. But let's not go down that road of what-ifs, because there are so many what-ifs with this team that I'm sure we'll think about many, 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 many years from now. But Kevin Durant is bound to miss time. And hopefully it's not catastrophic, but there's a really good chance at some point, hopefully not, there's going to be KD's out two to four weeks. KD's out four to six weeks. And remember what happened to this team last year. They completely collapsed. But the way they're built right now, the way we've, we're marveling at them, is it's a superstar with a lot of really good role players. What does this team do yeah. if Kevin Durant is out? And we get our wish, and Kyrie Irving isn't walking through that door. And this team is relying on Joe Harris and Seth Curry and eventually Watanabe when he comes back, and Royce O'Neal, and Ben Simmons, who is still the Ben Simmons of right now, and Nick Claxton, and Cameron Thomas, who's going to, I still call him Cameron, Cam Thomas taking 28 shots a game. Like, can we win yeah. games that way? Like, is it, well, Kevin Durant's gone, season's over. Like, what? what do, and that does concern me, and I think that's one of the positives of having two superstars, or Sarah, dare I say, three superstars, because we talked about that during the big three era of, well, you could lose a guy and still be a contender. You could lose two guys and still be good. Well, if you only have one superstar, which right now the Nets do, what happens that inevitable moment he gets hurt? Yeah, losses, a lot of them. I mean, if Kevin Durant goes down, they're done. I mean, it's over. Uh, He's a third of their salary cap. Or whatever it is, if if he's hurt, they got no chance. It's it's uh, different than years past when you had three superstars. Now you've got one superstar. Ben Simmons is not a superstar, not even close. And Kyrie Irving is the furthest thing from reliable. He's not on the roster. And even if he's back, it's like you trusting that something else doesn't happen. It's been tw- it's been, it was ten. It took eight games before this whole fiasco. So you, you don't think something else is going to happen? You think Kyrie Irving's, I mean, like, come on, everybody. We've seen this movie. Something's going to happen. We, we, we can't get, we can't go 70 more games with peace. No shot. No. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the team's done. If Kevin Durant is hurt, you might as well at that point just say, work hard, hustle hard. Let's see what we do. But we have no chance. And that, that's the worst scenario, too, because they're not tanking and they're not going to get a good lottery pick. Then and they're also not uh, contending. If KD gets hurt, the Nets are in true hell, true, true, utter well, hell. W- one thing I do want to say about the picks: not that 
I ever want the Nets to tank right now, especially with Kevin Durant on the roster. But just so we understand, this is a right to swap season and the Houston Rockets are not winning games. So, you know, yeah, sure. The Nets could be end up in the lottery and win the lottery and then force a swap with the Rockets, but the Rockets are going to be in the lottery too. So if somehow, you know, worst case scenario, things went really, really, really bad, they would have their pick. I mean, or they'd have the Rockets pick. You know what I mean? Like, it would be a lottery pick. It's not the worst case scenario of the Boston trade or even the Atlanta trade because they had a right to swap with Atlanta in the Joe Johnson trade. It's not that right now. Uh, And they also have Philadelphia's pick. That's a swap, too. And just to explain that real quick in case that's confusing, and I know it is, they have a swap with Houston. Assuming Houston has the better draft pick, they keep their pick, Nets have their pick. And then in the Royce O'Neal trade, the Nets would keep the better of their pick or Philadelphia's pick. So believe it or not, if the Philadelphia 76ers completely collapsed, we could win the Wembayama sweepstakes. I'm just saying it's not likely, but it could happen if the Philadelphia 76ers completely fell apart. So in terms of the draft picks they have, next year is a bad one because they don't have their pick. It's completely the Houston Rockets. But in a year like this, and then again in 2025, it's a swap year. So as long as the Rockets are bad, and that's the key, the swap may not turn out to be relevant at all. And that's what made the Celtic trade such a disaster. They were so good, and we were so bad. So the swaps were just absolutely (laughs) brutal, and they were the worst-case scenario. As of now, look, things can change in the NBA the Rockets are still bad. So that swap doesn't kill us. But yeah. look, it's not a scenario I want to be in. You want to be yeah. in. It's just you always have to think that way because Kevin Durant's only getting older. He's 34 years old. And the last two years, he's missed time. I'm not saying he's out for the season. Obviously, if he's out for the season. The season's over. But can you survive? And look, when Kevin Durant explained why he asked for a trade, one of the things he cited was the team collapsed when he was hurt. So, look, I think this roster is better equipped, even though it doesn't have a superstar, to at least win some games when KD is out, assuming KD is out. I mean, if Seth Curry's going to play the way he played against the Knicks, in which he finally hit a couple of shots, which was nice to see, if Joe Harris is healthy, Cam Thomas has really elevated his game since this opportunity's arisen, Nick Claxton's had a really good year, they won't beat good teams, but I guess they could be similar to the Knicks in that, all right, they'll beat the bad teams that are in front of them. Yeah, I don't even know if the Nets have as much talent as the Knicks. With You take Kevin Durant off the Nets. I don't think they're as good as the Knicks. And I, I love my Nets. I hate the Knicks. But just from a young standpoint, I think they're a little bit worse than the Knicks if you were to take away Kevin Durant. But that's just how good I think he is. You You said something, though, when you were talking about the Eastern Conference that gives me a little bit of hope is that, yeah, the Bucks have been amazing. The Celtics are the Celtics. But... After that, I mean, the Eastern Conference is so muddled. The Cavs are good at eight and three. The Hawks are good at eight and four. But it's the East is after. I don't feel mm, as bad as it's been. It's like the East has more talent than it ever has, but it doesn't scare me like I thought it would. And I think that at least gives me a little bit of hope going into the rest of this season because KD's there. That as good as those teams have been, and because KD's there, I, 
if KD's healthy and they're playing with some energy. And I, I think this net roster is, you know, Seth had a good game. Next game, he won't have the great game. O'Neal has the good game. Cam has the good game. It's going to be by committee around KD. And because I see the East, and I don't think it's as, like, daunting as scary, I weirdly at 5-7 and seven and Kyrie Irving being Kyrie Irving and gone for the most part, I, as bad as it's been, I'm not, like, I'm not upset. I don't know. It's it's a weird feeling. Well, you know what's helped. It's weird. It's Durant. Well, I think the last week has helped. I mean, think about it. They've played very good basketball over a four-game stretch. It's not a huge stretch of games, but for a week, they've played really good basketball. They're defending at an extremely high level. And I think that's a big part of it. Sometimes it's how you win. Dude, they've given up less than 100 points in four straight games. That, That is that's unforeseen with this franchise, with this team. I mean, they, they have been horrific defensively at times and you've put together four straight games. You know, really Dallas is the only, you know, good to elite level opponent. I acknowledge that, but to have four straight games in which you've allowed less than 100 points and you've played defensively the way you've played and you've been better on the glass, which has been a big help. Uh, I think it's just the way they're playing has been encouraging and they've eliminated the controversies. While I have to admit the news on Vaughn getting the job and Udoka not getting the job left to me mixed. And I'll explain my mixed feelings on it. Cause I, as a human being, I need to know more about what Ime Udoka did before I'm screaming and yelling that the Nets got simply bullied into not hiring him. And, and I do think they were bullied into not hiring him. Like I think that the negative attention that surrounded them contributed them to saying, ah, we're not going to deal with this. Let's just hire Jacques Vaughn. But I also acknowledge that we don't know the full story. And there's a chance that if we ever got the full story, we'd say, oh, boy, thank God the Nets didn't hire him. But then there's a chance we get the full story and we're like, come on, dude. Guy deserves a second chance. Guy didn't deserve to be suspended for a year. I don't really know because there's so much that we don't know about that situation. But Ime Udoka, we acknowledged it last week, would have been the best hire for this team. So I was sort of disappointed with that news, but obviously it gets thrown away because the players seem to love Jacques Vaughn. He's done a few things early on. I really, really like his usage of timeouts is just 50 times better than Steve Nash. I mean, Jesus, Steve Nash would wait an hour and a half. His team would give up an 18 0 run and then he'd call the timeout. I'm just going to let my players figure it out. Jacques Vaughn showed it in the Nick game. Nick's had like a five Oh run. And Jacques was like, Timeout. I think it was the beginning of the third quarter, if memory serves correct. I forget exactly yep. when mm-hmm. it happened. Yep. But I loved it. So the early returns on Jacques are good, and they're playing better basketball. And that's so far better than what we felt like a week and a half ago when they were a national disgrace that, of course, we should feel good. It's so much better than what we experienced not that long ago. Well, two two parts to, to break down what you said. Well, first, on the timeout situation, I wonder... If, you know, Steve Nash, all-world point guard, somebody that's, when the history books are written on the best point guards in the in the last 30, 40 years, he's going to go down in the top four or five of them. You know, you want to debate, is it Kidd? Is it Nash? Is it Isaiah Thomas? Whatever. Steve Nash is in there. It's almost like because he was so cool and confident and understood situations, he was like, we'll be fine and didn't call early timeouts where Jacques Vaughn backup point guard journeyman kind of guy was like, yeah, we need one. Now our team doesn't know what's happening. We got to stop the bleeding. 
I wonder if there's something to that. And then two, the, with the Odoka thing, like because the Nets were such a disaster with what has happened. And I do think some of the summer stuff plays into it, right? Like Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash hired. There's a, there's, there's this dysfunctionality that happens there. Then you have Kyrie Irving and there's anti-Semitic trope videos that's being out there. Now let's bring in Udoka, who we don't really know the truth on things, but just based on optics of what happened, yeah, it's a disastrous look. So if you want to call it bullying, okay. But it's like because of everything that's been surrounding the rest of the Nets, it's so gross. You know, if he was like, okay, Rick Carlisle, we don't really want him here anymore. We're going to make a move in Indiana. Eh, maybe people would care for a half second, but Udoka would be there and it would be over. But if there was one team in the whole sport that couldn't he couldn't go to, it's like hands up. Hey, I'm the Nets. We're a disaster. We've got an anti-Semitic point guard. Okay, like let's come here. The timing was it could not have it was it was such a joke, bad timing that I think even the Nets were like, oh, we could bring him in. Oh, wait a minute. This is really bad. And because of everything that's happened with the Kyrie, agree or disagree, now Udoka is getting even blown up even more. It's getting even more attention. People are feeling the heat. And they just put themselves in a situation where they went after a while going, we, we, can't, we can't do this. No, I, uh, I, they, had no, they, they had no chance. I acknowledge that. I guess what bothered me was the timing of it. Okay, so the Kyrie Irving situation is going on. We all know what's going on. They fire Steve Nash. Okay, fine. Uh, a move that we all agreed with. And then they're the ones that are leaking a day later to Woj. Exactly. Adoka's the guy. Okay, so if I get it would have been a PR disaster, but they put it out there when they knew it would be a PR disaster. And then it sits there for four days Yeah, they're being crucified for it, but they're hearing that, and then they're deciding, oh, yeah, we can't do this. They should have known going in it was going to be widely criticized. Totally. So that's why I use the term they got bullied, because they listened to what everybody said and said, oh, yeah, we can't do this. Well, then why was Udoka, when they fired Steve Nash, I remember exactly what I tweeted at the moment, the names that came to mind, and I acknowledged, or they can lean into the PR disaster and hire Udoka. And, bro, I tweeted that half as a joke because I didn't think they would want to lean in to the PR disaster. And then they did for four days before they said, ah, screw it. And, and by the way, I'm sure it helped that they seemed to respond to Jacques Vaughn. Of course. Like, if they yes. had continued to play yes. poorly, Totally. Then I don't know if they still do the Yudoka hiring, but maybe they hire somebody else. I mean, maybe they beg Quinn Snyder to take the job. I have no idea. But I think seeing the team play better made it easier. And for Jacques, totally. who I got nothing against, and I don't know what type of head coach he's going to be. I mean, I mean, he had an opportunity a long time ago. He obviously coached the team in the bubble, and the Nets were very fun in the bubble and clearly overachieved. I think we all acknowledge that. So he did a good job in the bubble. I don't know what kind of head coach he's going to be. You know, we're about to find out. Sure. He's going to get his opportunity. And look, if it goes badly, the whole team's going to be blown up. <laughs> you know, So it's not <laughs> yeah. as if another coach is going to get this opportunity here. He is the last coach in the Kevin Durant era. And hopefully he answers it. Yeah, this is such a pivotal, pivotal year for for the Nets. And there's just so much unknown. And Jacques Vaughn there is the head coach. And 
it's so confusing to know what's going to happen with this Nets team. It's almost impossible to figure out. It, 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 it really is impossible. And yeah, it's like, okay, he was the head coach of the Orlando Magic, you know, 110 years ago. All right. Like, what does that mean now? I mean, it doesn't, it's impossible to gauge. It'd be like if Jeff Van Gundy came back. You're like, oh, he's a great coach with the Knicks in the 90s. It's like, okay, but what does that matter now? So different. So so it's it's a clean slate for him. Um, and what happens for his career, the Nets, it's it's all right in front of us. And for everything that has happened for the first 12 games, who have which has been just a monumental failure and sadness with the uplifting the last couple. Um, it can all be, you know, rewritten and it can all change. And and he's the, the head of the snake with that. And, you know, I, I want to say like, I want to be coming on here and going, Hey, and Jock Vaughn's one of the greatest coaches in Nets history. And who would have thought Steve Nash was fired. They didn't go with Udoka and it ended up being the greatest move in Nets history. Like I want to, I want to say that like <laughs> it would make, nothing would make me happier than going, Evan, can you believe how great Jock Vaughn is? Can you believe those adjustments he made against Monty Williams? Like, oh my, like that's, I would, I would live. I, it's my dream in life to say th- statements like that. And, you know, <laughs> I get you. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I get you, man. Well, it's going to be a tough stretch here. They got four games out West with the Clippers, though. They'll be without Kawhi. The Lakers, they'll probably be without LeBron, Sacramento, and then Portland. Um, I guess I could be a pig and say I want to see them win three out of four, but the truth is split this West Coast trip. I mean, that'd be the way I'd look at it. Obviously, I want to get back to 500. I I just think these trips are very tough. You've got a back-to-back in L.A., which I guess makes it easier that you're not traveling on a back-to-back and you're facing a wounded Laker team, a Laker team that's off to a bad start. They're, they're off to a worse start than us. Plus, LeBron James is banged up, but... My conservative nature says if they can get a split out West and get back here seven and nine, uh, I think I'd be okay with that. You agree? Yeah, I want three out of four. I mean, I know the Clippers have won five out of six games. They're playing better basketball. They're seven and five now on the season. They're starting to heat up. But, you know, they've underachieved. The Lakers suck. They're just not a good basketball team. Like, if if you took the Laker moniker away and you said, hey, the Nets are going to play against the insert team that's two and nine it wouldn't even be a question i think the nets need three out of four so i i want a three and All one right. road trip uh and then come back and because i mean they're they're playing good basketball they're three and one their last their only loss is on a back-to-back against the mavs where kevin durant misses first free throw of the season <laughs> i i you know that they have been really good i i want both i want both in la and then i want to split the last two no, you're probably right. I guess I'm just trying to be conservative early in the season. That's how I then. usually sound. I don't know no, why I'm like. I don't know why I'm changing this attitude. It's not like me. Well, I think you're, you're desperate right now. You know, you're like you're very this. desperate. I'm not sitting here, want to be seven and nine going against the Grizzlies. Give me a break. No. I want to win three out of Morant's four. overrated anyway. They'll win the game. <laughs> and we got the Ben Simmons return game in a couple of weeks when they go to Philadelphia, well, uh, be right before Thanksgiving. By the way, one quick thing. I do like the fact that they're not effing around here with Ben Simmons. He makes a lot of money. He's been an all-star team, been on the all-star team a bunch of times. I think sometimes in sports, what a guy makes and what a guy's reputation is leads them to remain in a role that they just don't deserve to be in. Uh, You saw how long it took for the Lakers to say, all right, Russ, you're coming off the bench. How long it took for Carmelo Anthony to be a guy off the bench. 
And I love the fact that we were a handful of games into this season before they said, A, you can't be on the floor with Nick Claxton. The floor spacing is a mess. And that's how Steve Nash started the season with those guys Mm -hmm. starting. But now he does not play point guard. He is the center. He is the backup center for this basketball team. Now he handles the basketball pretty well for a center. No doubt about it. But they're putting him in a role right now. And if he starts to play better, great. I think we reconsider his role. I think Jacques Vaughn will. But I think for now, until proven otherwise, this is who he is. He's going to play 20 to 25 minutes a night backing up Nick Claxton. Uh, I, I love it. Yeah, you can't try to force him to be great. If he proves himself on the court that he can get more and he can deserves more minutes, then you give him the minutes. But at this point, let him play the backup center. The spacing's been dreadful. And yeah, he, he's the center that if he gets the rebound and he can push it up the court, you have an advantage where he can spread it and get it to Seth for three. He can get it to Mills for three. He can get it to Joe for three, which most centers can't do. And that's a bonus with him. And that's an advantage with him. But yeah, the, the, basically when he's playing point, he dribbles it up the court. There's a high screen. He gives a dribble handoff to somebody. He hides like hmm. that. That's what he did. And that's, that's not, that's not good enough. Right. Like at least anybody, you know, you, anybody that's in the NBA, below 25 million a, in a year can pull that off and Sumner you know he's not a traditional point guard but he can you know he's hitting shots he's given energy you feel better about that if, if Simmons is going to come up hand it off to somebody and hide it's not going to work uh, I'm, I'm all for him being the backup center you know because Dayron didn't work and if he can prove that he can do more and he can get into it fine and if that's an L for the Nets so be it but at least it's W's on the court, and that's that's the that's the most important. Yeah, you can't you can't Cares. think about the trade or think about his reputation. That that stuff is so. I hate when teams do that because you can't think that way. You just got to no. think about what the player is right now. If this is who the player is, that's who the player is. You know, and mm-hmm. right now, that's what he deserves to be. One last thing, because I've said this on the air, I've tweeted this out. I stand by it, despite the latest. I don't think Kyrie Irving ever plays another game for the Brooklyn Nets. Do you agree or disagree? I think he's back. I disagree. I think he's All right. Back. All right. Well, he's due to come back on the West Coast trip. That's sort of being ruled out. We'll see if he's in Brooklyn on Sunday, November 20th, the week from Sunday against the Memphis Grizzlies. Appreciate you listening. You can check out Mike Pasegli with the Bad Weather fans with Mike and Alex. He had a very good time the other day making fun of Alex after the Knicks got absolutely just destroyed by the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> And obviously, uh, Carton Roberts, 2 o'clock. And if you like Met content, Rico Bronia, the podcast I do on the New York Mets. Thanks for listening to the Evan Roberts podcast.